right, welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a special guest. I have a Korean mudang, and mudang in Korean means it's like a shaman, but I'm not really the one who can, uh, who should probably <laughs> explain that since I have a guest on here. I, I do have one experience, as I mentioned, kind of before we started recording, I did meet a friend of a friend a while back. And uh, I do have a little bit of experience uh, interacting with the mudang, but uh, anyways, can you introduce yourself and uh, sort of how you became a Korean shaman or Korean mudang? Uh, 안녕하세요. Uh, 저는 무궁화 무당입니다. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mudang name is Hedesik Mudang. Uh, that one was given to me by my gods. And um, roughly translated, mudang means shaman priest. Um, that's mostly because what we do is a lot of uh, things that shamans would typically do, as well as what priests would typically do. So shamans, you know, being a mediator for spirits and people, um, doing, you know, rituals and ceremonies. And then the priest part comes in because we also officiate like rituals and ceremonies ourselves. Um, so it's kind of like a combined role. Okay. Okay. How, how did you um, uh, get into, you know, is it, is it like something that you're born into or how did you initially get on this path? And um, yeah, maybe you can share a little bit about that. Uh, well, there's a couple of different kinds of mudangs. So the one that you mentioned, um, you know, is basically hereditary. So the hereditary ones um, inherit the role from their parents or a family member and basically learn everything from, from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I know, like they still need to undergo some sort of initiation ceremony to Um But the kind that I am, is the uh, what anthropologists like to call charismatic shaman. Um, Mm -hmm. We are the kind that experience spirit sickness, shinbyong. And um, that's kind of like a, honestly, looking into different shamanic living traditions, it's fairly similar across the board. Um, Mm -hmm. The person with the affliction suffers for however long um, with different, you know, different symptoms mm-hmm. um, until they accept their calling and undergo some sort of initiation. Obviously, it's different across traditions, but um, so I had actually started experiencing certain symptoms like premonition dreams and um, a feeling that kind of was like electric jolts going down my neck and my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it wasn't too bad. It it would you know maybe last a few seconds and went away, but mm-hmm. then you know as the years kind of progressed, it got worse and worse. Um, it never necessarily hurt so much to the point that you know I would faint, but it would startle me enough where I would have to fight to keep myself from yelling out from from it happening. Um, and when my premonition dreams were coming true, mm-hmm. and I would say probably about my young 20s is when this started happening. So when those dreams would start coming true, um, I would start hearing really loud bells and gongs. Mm-hmm. And, and 
experience pretty bad vertigo. Like I would have to hold on to something unless, um, if I didn't, I would, I would kind of fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I still kind of just brushed it off because doctors didn't seem to know what was going on there. You know, I was mm-hmm. a pretty healthy young woman. So there was no reason uh, I would have any of those kind of symptoms. I never had any kind of nerve damage nor, um, like physical trauma that would cause those kind of sensations. So mm-hmm. I just, <clears throat> I just shrugged it off for a while. And then I would probably say about, um, I think like when I was 26, um, I started getting these odd dreams that I couldn't really ignore anymore. So the first dream that really tipped me off was, um, Several ancestors had come into my house. They were visiting from Korea. Mm-hmm. And me and my mother were kind of running around trying to get food ready. And I was apologizing to them. And I told them, you know, I'm so sorry. We don't have anything ready for you guys to eat. We had no idea you guys were going to visit from Korea. And they came in and they're just like, yeah, it's okay. Um, we understand. You can just um, give us offerings to make up for it later. Mm-hmm. And my you know, in my brain mind, um, I just kind of shrugged it off, but I thought the word offering was a little weird. Mm. And um, so they came in, they, you know, unraveled this big pack. um, And they were just like, so these items we brought from Korea, and you're meant to have them. Mm. And I didn't know it at the time, um, during the dream, obviously, but they were um, typical mudong items, um, mm-hmm. typical like sacred tools, mm-hmm. and um, so there there was a good number of them too. So I had tried to you know be courteous and I tried to give it back to them. I was like, you know, this is way too much. Like I really appreciate it, but you guys visiting is more than enough. And they were really really insistent. Um, they pushed it all back to me, and they're super firm about it. And they said no, you're meant to have these, you can't say no. And, and I was just like, oh, okay. Um, all right, then. So I went ahead and accepted them. Mm-hmm. And then um, they left. And when I woke up, I asked my mom about the dream. And she, she was a little surprised. Um, I had asked her to help me find some other mudangs uh, to kind of get verified embedded because you know any kind of images can sneak into your subconscious and influence your dreams sometimes mm-hmm. um and even though i didn't really know what any of those items were or what they meant um i did find out upon some research mm-hmm. that they were connected to mudongs so from there it kind of snowballing um i found a teacher and mm-hmm. she initiated me I trained under them for in that lineage for a handful of years and I went off on my own way to be independent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, here I am now. I- I'm curious, uh, you mentioned you found a teacher and you got uh, initiated. What What is like a typical process of initiation? Is it um, there are certain rituals that are involved or um, I'm curious a little bit about that. So our initiation ceremony um, is one of the most expensive ceremonies you could ever get from <laughs> Imodong. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I'm, 
I mean, there's obviously a good reason for it, right? Because it is typically like a three to several day ceremony. And the preparation for that can easily be like one to three months long in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the ceremony itself, um, the, the one I received was a particular kind. Uh, obviously, Murangs will officiate their some ceremonies in certain different ways mm-hmm. um, and there will be different tests within those ceremonies mm-hmm. so I know um, Kim Gunghua uh, she went over it a little bit in her um, documentary movie mm-hmm. where she had to like find the sacred shrine items their sacred tools um, because the the other mudang ended up hiding them. So she had to like actually, you know, kind of tune in to her, to her gods and have them tell her where to go and where to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one particular kind of test that you can end up having in a initiation ceremony of mine. Um, there's a couple of days of ritualistic prayer that's mm-hmm. part of the ceremony at different locations. And that's kind of like a beginning stage. It's setting the scene for, you know, what kind of gods may be tapped into you and what kind of gods may be trying to come through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, um, that sounds interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, and then after that, it's, you know, three days of, three to five days of the actual ritual where you see mostly with Kut, um, the Mudong jumping up and down and spinning around and doing all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, okay, I'm curious in general, like, what are the key practices of mudang? Because you mentioned, like, in the initiation, um, there's, like, working with gods and spirits. So I'm kind of curious about, like, what is the role of uh, spirit work and what kind of, like, what kind of rituals or what kind of practices are, are typical? Um, it really depends on the mood. On, and I'm sorry, but you're probably going to hear that a lot just because, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> just because within the tradition, what a mood on can and can't do highly depends on what gods she received in her ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's plenty of mood out there who are strictly only doing divinations. Um, mm-hmm. They're strictly only doing like exorcisms. Mm-hmm. And others are only doing coot ceremonies. Um, for me, I typically am able to do divinations, pudrok, um, which are those paper talismans, mm-hmm. um, and smaller rituals and certain coot. Um, and as for working with spirits and gods, it really just depends on the day and depends on the client that comes. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, on a typical day, the the main gods or spirits I'm obviously interacting with are my own, but it also depends on the land that you reside on. It depends on the places you physically go. Um, and, you know, just because you're a mudang doesn't mean you won't encounter low spirits or um, evil spirits. Like they'll still be wandering, um, you know, throughout t- times of the year and um, the main reason that I would even know that it's a low or evil spirit is that they will um, try to either harm you in your dreams or they will try to force themselves into your house. And that's one of the more 
typical symbolism that we have to kind of that's like a red flag is mm -hmm. if a spirit tries to force themselves into your house it's as if they are trying to possess you mm, okay so you have certain uh protection practices perhaps or um th things yes. to things to guard yeah. against um these types of spirits i'd imagine oh, for sure yeah there's a lot of different um not even just move it on to it like a lot of like, people will do it too like the um dried fish over their front door hanging over their front door um their eyes wide open like that's uh supposed to scare away the evil spirits because they never blink mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay that's interesting um and yeah you mentioned the gods and stuff so and these are is this like a pantheon of korean based like there's there's a specific pantheon of like korean based gods in this tradition oh absolutely yeah mm -hmm. so um and you know the mudans who have been in their profession for usually over 20 years they mm -hmm. typically use the term monsoon which means um 10,000 spirits and mm -hmm. um then that just kind of shows goes to show like they have that kind of authority over that many beings um man shin, right man like ten thousand shin like like a god or something shin as in spirits yes uh -huh. okay man shin yeah. i got it okay. mm -hmm. uh -huh, uh -huh. and um so yeah it's they will go over a lot of different things in their ceremonies and rituals <clears throat> um and there's tons of like little protections um one of the ones that i typically advise students or clients if they wanted some kind of smaller scale protection or cleansing purification stuff um i would advise them to throw pot which is like the uh what is it azuki beans mm -hmm. um around their property that's supposed to because of the color um scare away the evil spirits as well mm, okay okay yeah very interesting um and uh, yeah, I didn't, it's interesting to me because I'm learning a lot as well. Um, and it, there's a division, you mentioned there's like 10,000 spirits. So there's a, there's a wider range of spirits, but then typically uh, a shaman or a mudang works with perhaps um, a limited array of those, or maybe like a few familiar ones. Is that, is that correct? Or do they generally work with like a very vast range of them? Um, so in their personal practice in our personal practice we have our own um specific pantheon so there's like certain celestial and heavenly gods and mm -hmm. then there are underworld gods as well as um deified ancestors the deified ancestors makes up the main body of the mudong's pantheon um for all the other spirits um it's kind of like case-by-case -case basis you know if we really need to reach out and grab a particular deity or spirit we should be able to do that theoretically speaking um i don't know about you know <laughs> other mudang's abilities and how they handle it on their own but for me um it's not a super difficult kind of task it's kind of like um just going up to their house and knocking on the door Whereas with my own personal gods, um, you know, we we're in the same room all the time. Mm, okay. Um, when, when you communicate or contact these spirits, are there 
um, certain methods that you use? Is it is it like getting almost into a trance state or would you describe it more like an automatic, like you're able to do it quickly or do you have to work up into getting into sort of a trance-like state? I know it kind of uh, differs, especially depending on the ritualistic setting for coup ceremonies. Um, we go into a full trance state. So we do all those actions like the jumping and the spinning to induce um, that state. And that's why there's also all the instruments going on, on at the same time. Mm-hmm. For basically every other situation, like if it's just divination with a client, it tends to be a half trance state. Mm-hmm. where um, we can easily kind of, like a radio, we can easily tune in to what our gods are saying, but still be at the forefront of our thoughts and actions and kind of like, um, they like our gods don't have to control us in order to convey the message. Um, mm-hmm. Typically when that happens for certain mudangs in their mm-hmm. divination sessions or smaller ritual, it is um, unplanned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. Uh, what typically, what would you say is the role of, uh, the mudang in Korean society? Like what, um, I, I mean, I'm sure it goes back quite a while, right? It's not obvious. It's probably not a modern thing. It goes back as a pretty, um, long tradition, I would imagine. Right. But what, what typically is their role in society? Well, we started off as being part of the Royal court. The kings and queens were actually the ones who were officiating those ceremonies. Um, But as time progressed, it became more of a lower class uh, career. And we were on the same class as Kisings, which if the um, listener knows about those, they're like the Korean version of geishas, which I kind of hate to use that example, but it's the easiest thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, throughout that time, it shifted, it heavily shifted from being such an important role to bring um, the needed weather or the agriculture um, and to keep like a kind of peace with the elements to shifting to become the lowest class, which a lot of people still feel as um, fairly negatively, um, maybe not necessarily with outright spite, but there's mm-hmm. still a lot of um, dismissal, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of mockery. Um, mm. But I do feel that uh, with modern like media I know there's a few shows like one of the K-dramas that just came out recently is mm-hmm. definitely spinning it as more of a um, easily connected to thing and a little bit more of a positive light. But you, you um, said one of the um, did you say K-drama? Mm-hmm. Uh, which which one is it? I'm curious. Um, it was called I forgot what the character's name was, but it started the show was started off as the Great Shaman and then the character's name. Um, it's on Viki. I have it on my to watch list because I was super interested. Okay, okay. Maybe I can uh, link it later in the uh, show notes. If people want to check it out. Oh, yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but yeah, so our, our role is primarily, you know, to be the mediator. So we are here to help humans mm-hmm. and also benefit the spirits, um, usually the client's ancestors 
who probably have some unresolved trauma or um, emotions or events that still need to be worked out. And usually those can be resolved with rituals and clip ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, it's it's definitely mostly a service kind of job. It's very similar to, um, I would I would say nuns or priests. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they dedicate their entire life basically to basically being of service to the people and God, and it's very similar in that capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder since. Um you know, after, I guess, in the past 100 years or so, perhaps, uh, Korea, I mean, there's probably like, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's probably like 35% Christian here, maybe something like that. So I wonder if that has had uh, a big impact on kind of, as you mentioned, maybe like more negative views or more, um, I I wonder how that like the introduction, introduction of other religions into Korea, has that sort of like, uprooted or like sort of cast a negative view on mudang do you think i mean it definitely didn't help like the yeah confucianism first definitely um right. made it even worse um uh-huh. christianity as well as um certain sects of buddhism as oh. well mm-hmm. uh really cast a negative light on Musul. Um, which is the Korean shamanism uh, tradition, belief, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the main portion of the negative energy probably came from Confucianism and Christianity. Obviously, Christianity, they view any other kind of uh, god or spirit as demons, right? Right. They assume you're working with uh, demons or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I even had like a couple people on my YouTube videos throughout, you know, the few years that I had it, um, mm-hmm. where they were just like, please go back to Jesus. Like, you know, you're <laughs> worshiping Satan. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I can totally see that. Well, one thing uh, that I noticed, like living in here in Korea, um, a lot of people go to like some people visit Mudang. And then there's also a lot of, um, uh, it's called Saju here, right? Like these centers that people visit for, um, sometimes it's like Mudang and Saju together. So um, are you are you also doing what's called Saju as well? Is that part of the tradition or is that something totally uh, separate? So it actually um, is not technically part of the tradition. So Saju is the art and technique of reading the four pillars of destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody can learn that. Like there's there's classes for learning saju or four pillars. Um, I think mm-hmm. the original term for that was the Chinese word, obviously. Um, and I think it's Heiji or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, it's like four pillars based on when you're born or something like that. Is that right? Right. So it's taking the information from your natal chart, like your, your birth date, uh-huh. time, and the place. And that's why a lot of us usually ask for that. Um, mm-hmm. I am not actually trained in Saju, mm-hmm. but um, there are a number of Udongs who uh, offer Saju is actually Shindong, which is uh, we'll we'll take the person's like natal chart info and mm-hmm. kind of um, 
we'll we'll tune into the person's energy that way and connect it to our gods so our gods can read their person's chart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh interesting okay so they can kind of work hand in hand and they can exactly. use um yeah it is possible to use Saja to kind of like fine-tune uh yeah. maybe perhaps the spirit work that you're doing and what what have you right Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Saju, it seems, I, I don't have much experience with it, but it, it does seem like, the only way I can really explain it from what I've seen is sort of like Eastern astrology, almost like Chinese or Korean astrology, because it is based on like when you're born, like your natal chart, kind of, as you mentioned. Um, but however, with like a different layout of elements from what I saw, like they had like, I forgot, it was like four or five different elements. And then uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert to talk about it, but it's, it's probably like the best way I could describe it for a Westerner who's listening in like, oh, what is this Saju, right? It's like, it, it, right. would you say it's kind of, it's kind of like astrology in a way, because it kind of pin, pinpoints when you're born and, um, sort of your, um, your like tendencies and what have you, right? Right, definitely. Um, so I, I personally like to call it, um, like a lunar lunar zodiac so um instead of chinese zodiac because all the east asian regions use a similar system calling it a lunar zodiac kind of meshes it better for everybody since it all around it uses like lunar dates and things like that so um it's very similar to reading your lunar zodiac um what year you were born, the zodiac for the year that you were born, doesn't mm -hmm. actually refer to your personality. It refers to how your incoming year is going to react to you as a person. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it goes deeper than that, but I haven't studied it super in depth. Um, the personality typically comes more from the, I think, day zodiac animal that you have. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, to kind of go back like earlier to the spirit work, just something that came to mind when you're working with the spirits that you work with, would you say it's like a, like a very respectful cordial relationship or are there times where it's more like you're commanding them? Cause you know, in different traditions, there's more like, like you sort of evoke these spirits and you're kind of commanding them in other traditions. It's more of a respectful relationship and cordial. So how would you kind of describe like the relationship uh, with the spirits that you work with or gods you work with? So for mine, because, you know, they are my personal pantheon, we have a very, um, I wouldn't say casual because mm -hmm. some of them are still fairly strict about certain things that they want and how I do them. Mm -hmm. But overall, they're very understanding and they're very empathetic with my life as a living person and the daily mundane tasks that I have to worry about mm -hmm. so they're they're pretty understanding in that regard um I know other mudangs who have way stricter gods um they demand very particular things and they are not forgiving at all um they mm -hmm. absolutely expect you know that mudang to set aside everything in their personal life like family um daily job like that sort of stuff um second to to their gods um so i'm i'm very blessed in that respect that mine are so you know understanding for me um so typically with the whole commanding gesture that comes out as more of a um 
how do I explain it? It's kind of like at an orchestra with a maestro directing <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> instrument players. Uh -huh. um, that doesn't necessarily mean you know they're threatening or trying to force them to do something, but you have to be able to guide your gods to do certain things for the benefit of humanity. Um, because a lot of our gods, you know, they they have a will of their own. Like they will want certain things that won't immediately benefit the client, and mm -hmm. you have to be able to. Um, guide them to the appropriate um, setting and action and will. Um, but overall, outside of that ritualistic setting, um, me and my God's relationship is, is very personable. And um, I would, if I had to call it any kind of casual, I would say business casual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I'm curious. Are there are there like a hierarchy? Like I'm trying to get like the ontology too, right? And understanding is there a hierarchy of the spirits? Would you say there's like the ultimate spirit, and then sort of like like a, like a hierarchy, or would you say it's more like they're all in like a level level playing field? Um, uh, how how would you explain that? Is there is there in in Mudong in general? Is there like an ultimate god or something like an ultimate first? like the great spirit or is it more of a paganistic where it's totally different or a range of gods really on a, um, a sort of like that, would you say? Oh man. Um, so there's two different ways to look at this. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first one is that we do have tiers or a hierarchy, right? There's, you know, the King of heaven, there's the um, Jade emperor then there's, you know, Seven Star God and Buddha and, you know, it kind of goes downwards um, from there. And so we do retain that kind of hierarchy when referring to gods, especially um, in a ceremonial context. Mm -hmm. um, in the other perspective, because each Mudong's pantheon is so personal, Mm -hmm. um, we could technically share, I'm air quoting right now, <laughs> we could <laughs> technically share um, a mountain god, mm -hmm. but because a lot of these gods are deified ancestors of our own, you know, mm -hmm. one will feel that their mountain god is stronger than my mountain god, and then there's kind of a lot of posturing within the community or mm -hmm. within a <laughs> ceremony <laughs> space. Um, you know, if there's if there's a public poop going on and there's a bunch of different mudongs, especially from different lineages, you'll mm -hmm. see that posturing a lot. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, there's a little bit of a uh, like rivalries or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my lineage, you know, my shinomani, my spirit mother is so much stronger um, than yours. Like our gods are way stronger. Like we can do everything the client asks, like right away, but yours won't be able to do that. Ah, that's very interesting. A, I think that brings in the, uh, the Korean competitiveness, you know, because the society is like, for people who are living in America, I don't think it's possible to understand. It's a hyper competitive society, right? Like, like, uh, even from a young age, it's like getting into the best hagwon, which would be like an academy and, 
the best school and the company and the clothes, you know, everything okay. all the way from like a youth to, you know, th- growing up through life. It's a very, very competitive society that so it's very hard to even explain to a Westerner because they, they would say like, oh, I grew up in a competitive atmosphere, but it's probably nothing compared to a Korean, like a typical Korean. Yeah. Not when you're not uh, surrounded culturally by it. Right. Like, yeah. Um, it, even really little things like how you gift your family member, like that's going to be heavily scrutinized by everyone. Like mm-hmm. um, a really good example is my, uh, spirit father like he had asked me one time, like hey what do you you know what do you hope for your life um what do you wish for your life and I gave a really simple answer like I just want to make sure I am as happy as can be for the majority of my lifetime mm-hmm. and he kind of just looked at me and was like what is that like that's not a goal like but that's not an answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny that's pretty funny like, come on, you got to do better than that. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not a, you know, what what's going to make you happy? What exactly, like, being a doctor is going to make you happy, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, interesting. You, you also mentioned, uh, to kind of backtrack, I think you mentioned one of the gods or spirits you could work with was Buddha. So Buddha also plays a role in this tradition as well? Well, with the um, absorbed facets of mm-hmm. Buddhism, in our tradition, Buddha is definitely one of the um, higher, high tier deities that a Mudang may be able to receive in her initiation. Um, But honestly, and I'm not, I'm not one who received a Buddha, but like, the word is that if a Mudang has Buddha, um, in their pantheon, then they typically suffer more. So <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay, interesting. <laughs> well, Buddha did say that you know, life is suffering. That's like one of the four, yeah. noble, <laughs> part, literally part of the four noble teachings. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's quite interesting. All right, I didn't know about that. Um, uh, is it, when you're working with the spirits, it's just kind of curious too. Like, uh, do they see uh, like humans as having some sort of ultimate destiny or like karma or is it sort of you know I'm, I'm curious like what's the role because I'm sure you have like clients who come in and do they do they see like this person should you know this is like this person's destiny or they don't really mention anything like that it so that's one of the conflicting things and there's a lot of conflicting things within the in the tradition um so when a client comes to me and asks about their destiny or what their fate is, what their life is meant for, you know, I'll see my gods will show me like um, one path and that path on the left side is what overall 80% chance of happening is their mm-hmm. fate and their destiny. Not mm-hmm. much is going to be able to change it. But on the right hand side are all these diverging paths. Um, that could enter the picture and could be changed depending on a variety of factors. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of one of the uh, main things that Mudongs are here for is that um, we are here to try to change a person's fate and destiny if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and crude ceremonies are supposed to be like the one thing 
that should be able to help change that. Mm, okay. Okay. So yeah, I, I like that explanation. So there's, it's not like there's one um, specific path. Obviously people can change their life or their choice, but there, there's sort of an array of different paths that somebody can go on pretty much. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Um, do, do you know, um, much about like shamanism from other countries? Have you ever, um, I mean, maybe you've studied a little bit or come across shamans from other countries and if so, are there a lot of commonalities or do you see a lot of differences? Um, so, I mean, given the, the background, I was basically raised in uh, America since I was six. Um, but my first six years were in Korea, which is why my first spoken language was Korean. And then I moved here. Okay, so you're born, uh, <laughs> you're born here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so given the environment and different culture in America, I was definitely uh, able to access other traditions way easier than um, Korean. With Korean, there's that language barrier and there's just not anything much written about about it in English mm -hmm. um so I had no idea until you know the calling just came up but um I do have a couple uh friends I would call them like professional friends or professional peers um one of them is a um Haitian votary priest mm -hmm. um and from what he tells me about every once in a while, like the, the uh, overall theme is fairly similar. So like, you know, if you have a calling by the spirit, you have to get vetted by a priest within the tradition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you get, you have to go through an initiation ceremony with them too. And then when that happens, you're basically part of that spirit family, but they call it um, mm -hmm. like a house, like a spirit house, right? Mm -hmm. Um, on top of that, they, I believe they also have, uh, deified ancestors. They have, um, different spirits that come in to possess you throughout the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, it's honestly very interesting, the, the amount of similarities that show up with Haitian Vodou, um, mm -hmm. obviously Mongolian, Siberian shamanism are all fairly oh. similar to our- Oh, for um, sure. From, from what I've seen online, the, uh... Korean shamanism definitely looks closest to Mongolian um, shamanism. I mean, obviously, it's they're close by, and there's a lot of um, uh, interaction and war. And J I believe Genghis Khan did take over Korea for quite a while too, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, that makes sense. Okay, so you and you do see similar similarities in other, like you said, uh, Haitian udon and things along these lines. Yeah. So um, African traditional religions um mm -hmm. atrs there mm -hmm. were a number of similarities there i think the most similarities was like the process of getting vetted initiated and being basically uh, spiritually adopted mm -hmm. by the head priest of that lineage um as well as the method of how certain ceremonies are conducted which is the possession of the spirits in question Okay. And so I know in some of those traditions, as you mentioned, um, uh, in, I think it's in like Voodoo or Rudan, the, the person is like totally possessed by the spirit and totally 
like they kind of lose consciousness to a degree, right? Like they become more like ultimately possessed by the spirit. That's also part of um, uh, Korean shamanism too. Yes. So we definitely experienced that. Um, just mm-hmm. it obviously varies uh, in degrees for each person mm-hmm. and um, the ceremony, the ritual context. But overall, I would say probably 90% of the time um, when we get possessed in food ceremonies, we still retain consciousness and we still mm-hmm. retain a level of um, autonomous thinking and motion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that when our gods possess us, it is a heavy gut reaction to what we're going to say and what we do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Cause I've, I've read accounts or seen accounts of um, where like in some traditions where they're just totally, there's like no free will and they're sort of like thrown around the room and things along these lines. Right. And so um, yeah, I guess there's different varying degrees in different traditions. Right. But it sounds like you still remain somewhat aware and, um, or are, would you say you're able to like break the, say, say you're going through one of these experiences, are you able to like stop it or is it something that you have to kind of ride out? Oh, well, you know what, um, depending on the strength of the mudang themselves, um, mm-hmm. they technically speaking should be able to override um, the possessing deity, especially if that possessing deity is not doing what they should be doing. Um, you know, if, if it happens to be an evil spirit that was masquerading as their deity and, you know, took control and then was trying to run amok, like the Mudong needs to be able to counteract that and get them out of their body. Um, so I would say overall, like, we absolutely need to have the ability to take back control. Um, it's been a pretty rare case that I've seen Mudongs, at least in the communities that I've been around, um, be in complete like lack of control. Um, very, very rare. And the reason for that is that if the Mudong releases 100% of control in those kind of contexts, mm-hmm. they can't protect themselves and the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and there could be a lot of damage done in that way yeah so you you do have to um it is very important to sort of develop the um uh what would you say the, the initial practice the initial protections and to have like a mm-hmm. solid foundation before um oh, absolutely yeah we're yeah that makes sense a lot um I, another question i'm curious when working with the spirits is it often working are there like um so there's there's the context of like talk, communicating with them for perhaps divination purposes or knowledge or information, but then there's also perhaps uh, working with them for like what in some traditions they would call like low magic or folk magic, kind of like working with them to get more money or to meet a lover. Is that part of the is that part of the practice as well? Like working with them and asking them to you know bring more money into your life or a lover or something like that. Honestly, and here's another similarity with some of the other um, ATRs is that asking for those kinds of things is not seen as 
low magic necessarily. Um, you know, if you're earnest and sincere, like that's obviously very, very important. Um, you know, asking for things that will make your mundane life easier, happier, um, more fortunate and more balanced. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's even encouraged. Like a lot of the times uh, after a ceremony, you know, we'll, we'll say, you know, may you have a blessed life. You know, here's some blessed foods to encourage more good fortune, whether that's financial, emotional, physical, what have you. And it's it's a lot of um, we encourage those kind of things all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't I didn't mean to imply that it's low magic. Some people call it that or some people characterize it as that. But uh, that's more of seeing things from like a dualistic perspective, right? Like there's good and bad and you know evil yeah, practices good practices where where what you're saying is like yeah, it's these practices can kind of help it's even encouraged to like help balance your life and make your make yourself you know enjoy a better life right right exactly like um you know it's not i wouldn't say it's you know low magic there there are obviously are aspects of what we could call low magic that mudongs would probably Honestly, in the hundred years, would never try to do, or um, at least. Oh, it's so like having a having like attacking people or having evil intent, perhaps towards another. Is that um, that's not as much a, a part of the tradition, or it is to a degree? Uh, um, I, yeah, varying varying tangents here. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, most Mudong lineages we strive to be humble and sincere. Uh, very similar to a Buddhist um, disciple. You know, mm -hmm. you want to align your morals and your values with a higher good, essentially, but maintain mm -hmm. balance where mm -hmm. your desires and needs are just as much as what you do for your fellow human being. Um, mm -hmm. On that, that said, there are other mudangs who are still fairly pe petty, um, there are mudangs who will deliberately try to um, make their peers seem or sound um, incompetent so they can take those clients from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say like a mudang, I've never seen a mudang like have evil intent. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like too many of us would be terrified of losing our gods by acting in that kind of way mm -hmm. um it it's just not it's just very unheard of for for a mudang to show um distasteful qualities like that um for for the most part we all try to be you know decent good people um, I know, obviously, that doesn't speak for everybody. There absolutely are mudongs out there that are frauds and try to scam people, which really sucks because that doesn't help uh, with the sure. negative. Um, sure. I mean, that's in, that's with anything, right? Like, it's not it's not yeah. like specific to mudong. I mean, any any tradition or anything could have a degree of scammers, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, when doing these sort of practical operations, do do you ever see like 
do the spirits ever communicate like there's a limit? Like I'm kind of imagining like, oh yeah, as you mentioned, you know, maybe bringing more money or a good person into your life, but um, do they ever kind of like say, hey, you're getting a bit greedy. Like I need more money, <laughs> you know? so, like, <laughs> like treating, them, treating them like an ATM or like, Oh know? man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be stern at times, I would imagine maybe. that's definitely a thing like um Uh you know up to a certain point they will sympathize with you but you know when you try to ask for too much you Mm -hmm. know they'll they'll start putting you in check they'll they'll kind Mm -hmm. of pull you aside and and say do you really need that do you have (laughs) food do you have shelter are you comfortable yeah then stop (laughs) like you're good Ah, okay. Okay. What what kind of, um, what kind of offerings are typical? You know, most, um, most shamanistic traditions have a different array of offerings that they present, um, during their ceremonies or rituals to the gods or spirits. What are some typical, uh, offerings that perhaps in Korean mudang or in your tradition that, uh, you offer? Um, typical ones is obviously fresh water. Um, I think that's, that's one of the ones that's always standard across the forward across the world um liquor uh fruit and particular foods like obviously rice cakes um fried fish um tofu a lot of vegetarian dishes to be honest (laughs) Mm, okay okay that's interesting um and like maybe like fruit or something along those lines yes so with Fruits, there is a particular rule about them for ritual etiquette is that you can't offer um, fruit with stone pits. But besides that, you typically can offer most any fruit. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Um, All right. I think we covered uh, most of the bases. I guess one last thing I'm wondering is because in a lot of shamanistic traditions, um, we kind of talked about earlier about like the trance state, like achieving a trance state. Um, a lot of the traditions take certain drugs like psychedelic drugs or things along these lines. W- was that ever a part of uh, the tradition? Because here in Korea, like drugs, like even marijuana is seen like you're doing heroin and crack and killing someone in Korea. Like, whereas in America, it's like you can just go to the store. I mean, I'm from California as well. You can just literally I can get off the airplane, arrive in my hometown and then walk into a shop and buy it legally. Whereas in (laughs) drugs currently in this age in Korea, in this time period, like even small things like marijuana are seen like the the devil, I guess you would say, right? But people will drink 10 bottles of soju on a Monday night, right? But but, uh, yeah, I mean, do drugs, have they, or like conscious altering substances, were they ever a part of these traditions? Um, I've actually gotten that question a fair number of times, usually from other uh, Western people who are mm-hmm. looking into shamanism. Um, we have never used like psychedelic drugs or anything like that throughout antiquity. That's never been a thing. Um, liquor, alcohol has always been part of the culture and tradition, but um, we've never really needed to use um drugs recreational drugs in order to induce trance and that's one of the main things that kind of makes our tradition stand out a little bit from various other shaman um, shamanic traditions mm-hmm. is that they may try to use certain 
psychedelics like mushrooms as an example um, mm -hmm. to induce that transfer of their messages to have that communication with their spirits mm -hmm. but for us we during our initiation ceremony we directly link our energy to our gods and that's why we don't need to use these kind of outside sources to induce that communication it's already there it's i mean mm -hmm. we <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I see. I see. It's not necessarily seen as this necessity to communicate. Right, right. Right, right. Okay, okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I think this has been a really good conversation. What um, services and what kind of um, things do you provide um, to people and where can people find you as well? Um, well, I'm pretty much all over the internet. Um, my main website is themudong.com. Mm -hmm. um, I also am a little more active on Instagram, also the Mudong, and TikTok, also the Mudong. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm also on Facebook, Mudong Meme, which is a little bit different, so I don't really advertise it too much because the username doesn't match, but what are you going to do? <laughs> um, oh, what what the, did you say the, the Facebook one was? Mudong Meme, so uh, Mudong uh, N I M. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so as for services, I offer clients um, divination, energy work, energy healing, um, rituals, ceremonies, and talismans. Um, I'm also kind of in the process of making my own little bath satchels and um, basically to go sacred ropes which i'm really excited about so there's that mm, okay okay and so can people um they can work with you like through the internet through zoom or something like that or do you only do in-person stuff i do mostly remote work actually so um especially with covid still being pretty a big thing with the delta variant now on the rise right. um I'm not taking anybody at my Shinbang in person, but mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to work with anybody remotely online. Um, we can absolutely use Zoom or Skype or email or Messenger. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. This was a uh, great conversation. I mean, I know I personally learned a lot and uh, I'm sure the audience learned a lot as well. So yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and until next time. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. It was so fun.